Welcome to the Connected Communication Podcast, the show which explores how much of communication is nature and how much is nurture, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine Molani. Saubona, the only language in which hello means I see you provided to me or offered to me, maybe I should say shared with me today by my guest, a South African from the Zulu tribe whose corporate career started long before the advent of email communications and spanned 15 years in consulting engineers, management consultants and boutique investment firms. And then after a decade in South Korea, she relocated to start a new life as a public speaking coach, soft skills trainer and the host of the Speaking and Communicating podcast in the USA. It's my great pleasure to welcome Roberta Ndlela. Is my pronunciation correct? That was so yes. perfect. Yes, Christine. Okay. Saubona. I see you. Saubona. It's beautiful. Wow. I absolutely adore that. Thank I mean. you. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for being here. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you. So Roberta and I met uh, in a podcasting collective that we're both members of. Wonderful connection. We've done quite a lot since on LinkedIn and we host a, hosted a few different rooms and we meet on Zoom calls monthly. So really great to be connecting with you and building that connection and friendship over this period of time. As you know, the podcast is Connected Communication and in it, I explore the nature and nurture of communication. So just for listeners who are new, welcome. If you're new, thank you for coming back. If you've returned, do remember to hit that subscribe or follow button and make sure you keep coming back. I'll just explain briefly what this series is about. It's called Communicating Through the Ages, as I shared with you beforehand. What's been transpiring in interviews over the past week or so is that it might take a little bit of a turn away from through the ages and more towards your experience of communication throughout your lifetime. But what we do is we look at how communication has changed because of globalization, technology and anything else that you may have experienced yourself in your long career in consulting, then across a couple of different uh, locations that are quite diverse and different in terms of their communication styles. Would that be fair to say? Very diverse. <laughs> in fact, I realized when I went to South Korea from South Africa, I thought, oh, what makes it so diverse is the language barrier and the different culture. But then I'm in America. My Yes, I'm Zulu, but in my country, it's run in English. And here I thought, okay, it's in English. Everything is going to be the same. Uh-uh. Very diverse as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a very different. We, we, we all do. I'm Irish and I speak Hiberno English, a based form of British English, as is American English. And in fact, actually, all of the Englishes in the world in some way are based on British because we won't go down that road. <laughs> we, we know why. Maybe that's for another series. But I remember actually learning and I think I told you this before, the word for traffic light. Uh, you call it a robot, robot. In, yes yeah so in south africa if you start quite a gas station um there was when i started driving there was no gps so you'll have a map 
And sometimes your atlas or your map might not be as good or you're not good at reading it and you think, well, am I going the right direction? We stop at a gas station, which we call a petrol station, by the way. Yeah, so do we. Gas, yeah, 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 gas station is an American term. Yeah, and you American, say, yeah. excuse me, sir, am I going the right direction? I'm going to this. Ah, listen. First robot, you see that robot over there? You, you go straight. And then the second robot, you turn left. So if I said that to him in America, there would be a completely different conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. And the same in Ireland. So tell me then, and we'll get back on point then after that. What do you call robots in South Africa? Robots. Ah, so and, and by robots, I mean. Traffic light. No. <laughs> oh, you mean robots, so the you know, toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, robot as, in, as well. It's a homonym. <laughs> That's very interesting. So when robots start to holding up my fingers beside my head, take over, <laughs> there's going to be robots directing other robots to turn left, to turn and, right left and go when straight. When they reach the robot. <laughs> that's a very well, good point. That's, that's right. <laughs> so let's let's jump back then. Um, can we can I take you back a little bit? You said that you started your career uh, after having studied at university and went into then consulting, consulting in engineering consult and management consultancy. How would you describe the field of communication then? Uh, consulting engineering was when I spent most of my 15-year corporate career. And my country was going through changes at the time. You know, we have a very colorful history of apartheid. So when the government became democratic in 1994, 1995, I'm studying my first job, corporate job. And there's a lot, there's too much consultation of stakeholders before you build anything because the apartheid government was very, just bulldoze and do whatever you want. We don't consult anybody. So then they became the extreme of over consulting, which means there's always workshops and meetings. And if one stakeholder is missing, if a mayor of this town is missing, we're not going to do anything until we have another one where he's going to be present. And it's just, it frustrated my boss who studied engineering. And one time we were driving. Remember, I'm junior. So a lot of people would confess, would confess their true feelings to me because I'm, I'm, I'm less of a threat. I'm not the director or oh, vice president or anything. Very nice. Exactly. And he said, well, I went to study engineering to sit on my desk, do my job. And now all I do is talk to people and there's politicians. But he, I had to realize by noticing and paying attention after his rent that that's why he got promoted. He's, he's, he's good at his job, but he's not the smartest guy. When you sit in boardrooms with the other executives, he wasn't necessarily the smartest, but he's very good with people. He was very good in delegating. He ran, and for some reason, I don't know, he had a lot of female professionals running the you know, in, in our transportation department. I don't know if that was coincidental or you aren't just thought, I like working with females, with women. He was very good in delegating tasks to us and making sure that the project comes together and we work together. I don't remember any drama working with the other ladies. He, because Johan was just that type of person. Those things nobody tells you when you are studying at university, that those extras little interpersonal skills are going to come in very handy in addition to your technical expertise that you're learning. 
So what I understand there is that then you had gone from one degree where everything was just done. There was no thinking. It was just that action was decided. You take that action into red tape everywhere. Nothing could be done. A bit of a freeze and a block over communicating almost everything. It was overly done. And when you're a consultant, you want to get the job done. Remember, even construction has deadlines. There were times when we were frustrated because it felt like it's holding us back from reaching the deadline. Because somebody who felt unconsultant feels like the project must be on hold until they get, you know what I mean? It, 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 it was overly done. And like I said, there's a lot of making up for the past that was happening at the time. I'm not sure how it is now, but because everything was just fresh and new. Right. Okay. And you were coming in as a young junior woman, fresh out of college. How was it working as a woman in that environment? Like I said, I, first of all, um, before working with Johan, the boss, I just explained, I had a mentor in, in my hometown. I was first in my hometown and then, which is Durban by the Indian Ocean, if anybody's familiar with this African map. And then when I went to Pretoria, the head office, that's where Johan became my boss. But in my hometown, I had a mentor who was amazing. To this day, he even wrote a recommendation on my LinkedIn profile. Look how, look how long it's been. And not only did he show me the ropes, but he was so strict. I remember one time I was like, he was so strict with business English writing. Because remember, this wasn't the time to, with emojis where if I think you're going to be offended, let me put a smile so that you know everything is okay between us to make you feel better. He will change that and just make every phrase sound better. And I print it and I think, okay, Rian, this is it. And he'll change it again just to keep making it feel better. It sound better and more professional. And I think, when is this going out? This is the 10th draft already. But that practice, practice, practice. In my other jobs, people used to ask me why I write such good business letters. So it taught you the style and the form and how to be meticulous in, in your preparation of the letters. And you said something there that I'd like to pick up on, if I may, because the listener scope, I, 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 I'm not sure of the age of everybody who's listening, but potentially those who are listening are used to a life of word processing, where when you type a business letter and you need to change it and adjust it, you just double click on the word and you delete it or you right click it and the computer gives you another answer. But you said he printed it out and I would think this is it. So in other words, he was using a typewriter. Is that right? No, print it from the computer. Remember, you'd print okay. it from Microsoft Word. He will print okay, so it. Okay, so he was using Word. Yes, he was using Word. All right. But it, that was before, remember, that was before, you know how now Word would suggest to you, even on your email, if I write you an email, it would suggest to you the rest of the sentence. Yeah, I've switched that off. We did I not actually, have that. Um, we did not um, have even spelling suggestions at the time. A lot of this was new. And so now you just click this arrow and it shows you the whole sentence in what you were trying to say and, and it sounds better and more professional. We didn't have that. So, so a lot of the stuff we came up with to sound professional. Right. Okay. Okay. So you're talking about definitely a, a communication change here, big time from when from years ago to now. Can I push back on you with that one? 
in, in you saying it sounds better and it sounds more professional when it gives you the ending. So I, I mean, I'm all for AI, right? It's got its uses. It's definitely a useful tool. This week I have been screenshotting my phone because somehow uh, a new type of AI has embedded itself in my phone and it is underlining grammatical forms in my phone when it thinks that it's wrong, as, as does email. So I've switched it off on email, but I can't figure out yet how to switch it off on my phone. And I thought this week, actually, I'm not going to switch it off. I'm going to take screenshots and I'm going to write a post about it because it's not correct. No more than Microsoft Word is correct all the time. I'm a bit of a grammar. Uh, I won't say that word. A pedant. That's me use that word. It's more uh, politically correct. Uh, I, I know my grammar rules. I taught for long enough. So when I'm corrected by a computer trying to tell me that I'm wrong, I, I know that the computer's wrong. So when you look at some of these predictive answers that you're getting and you think back to the fact that you're so proficient at writing business emails and writing business letters, are there times when you read it and you think, no, the way that I wrote it is better? Or do you think that it's better from the AI side of things because communication has changed from how you would have learned to write those letters? There, there are moments, <laughs> oh, this is actually a good one. There are moments when I think, no, it sounds better the way I'm going to say it. And if it says, let's say, Christine, I look forward to our conversation. It, it might suggest to our conversation and, you know, you can see it bigger. And I'm like, no, no, Christine, I look forward forward to having this discussion with you or something like that. Sometimes I do yeah, change chatting. it. Yeah, I look forward to chatting. Depending <laughs> on a relationship, as you said at the beginning yes. of the podcast, that depending on the relationship, I don't say this, the exact same thing to everybody. But AI, like you said, will suggest because it's programmed, so it's going to suggest every, the same phrase to everybody. Depending on the relationship, I can use chatting with you because we are that informal. But somebody else who's it's for the first time we're having correspondence talking about being on my podcast. Um, you know, conversation, I think, sounds better because we're not familiar yet. We haven't met face to face on Zoom, etc. And then afterwards, I mean, I may think, oh, I enjoyed our chat because now we are familiar. So AI doesn't have those nuances, you know. And then secondly, I I remember when when this started, you have these uh, the shortenings, W-Y-D, I would have to go, what is that? Uh, because this new generation speaks that way, texting language, right? I've had to adapt sometimes. It, it, everything is on merit. It's all about each situation. But I've had to adapt to not be as formal as I was the way my mentor trained me because it, it, you can tell if there's a breakdown. So if I'm speaking to someone who's in their 20s, they've, they've had a cell phone since they were two, sitting on their little chair and the mom gave them an iPad to swipe so that they stopped crying. That's a very different generation. And so I've had to be a little less formal than I was in the 90s. That, that is a fact. Yes. Okay. Okay. That, that's a very interesting point you make there. And you did make me giggle. <laughs> thinking about the kids swiping. And um, let me stay focused. 
formality. So you refer to being much more formal. And of course, in that business setting, you would have to have been particularly formal if it was in engineering and construction and, and deals and things. But do you think the formality of, it, of communication has changed over the years? I think it has. And like I said, because I first had a corporate career in 95 before all the internet, social media that we have now, I think it has. And now the challenge becomes, and, and we talk about this when we talk about C-suite executives in their 40s and their 50s, that some of them, the challenge is they now have these 25-year-olds who report to them and they need to be open to this idea of this generation communicates differently. You can't just say, oh, we communicate formally. If you don't, you're out of here. That, that, that's not going to work. Because they bring value with new ideas and, and knowing what the market is looking for. Because you might be stuck in your 1995 ideas. They know what's going on in 2023. So you need to hear them out. And therefore, in communicating with them, you cannot use 1995 styles all the time. There should be that merging of, yes, bring what's going on so that our business can provide value to the market. But at the same time, we're not going to write client letters where we write WYD. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. We're not, it, we're not putting text. No, no text speaking a letter. business letter in a business email. So it's the merger of these two very vast generations. Because before technology, even if my boss was 50, we, my mentor was, he, he was in his 50s when he mentored me and, and I was 19. He, because there wasn't that added element of technology and text speak and there were no cell phones. So he actually, I would learn from him on how to do things and it would just be that repeat of this is how things are done. And I'd be open to it because I'm not exposed to anything else. Mm. Yeah. So the scope of awareness to learn and to create your perception from is much narrower or was much narrower then than it is now. You have one man who's standing in front of you. He's the person that you learn from and you learn from the things he says and the things he does. You can't go and Google them afterwards to see if he's right. <laughs> That's no good. I myself wanted those people, the, the, the Nokia 330 or something. I can't remember what it was called. And it didn't, it, there were no smartphones. They didn't have cameras. They didn't have, we didn't have Google. And so what I learned from my boss is how things are done. What we do for the client, that's all they know. Yeah. Absolutely. Very, very interesting. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to touch on there. I, I, I'd like to go back, if I may, if you don't mind, uh, even before that career. And you mentioned to me a couple of times how proud you are of your heritage. And even before we started this call, that the Zulu people are the proudest tribe of their heritage, which I find fascinating. Um, I, I find understanding communication and the origins of communication long before we we found language and we spoke to each other through sounds or through different movements or we communicated with nature i find fascinating to learn about do you mind if we 
talk a little bit about not at all your, oh, your heritage about growing up what it means to have grown up as a Zulu in in the 80s I, I'm if I'm correct yes because I was born in the mid 70s so yes I grew up in okay. the 80s so, yeah I'd love to yeah all right so what how was communication different growing up in a Zulu family or a Zulu tribe or tribal environment do you think um the first tenet or foundation of my tribe, of my Zulu tribe heritage, is one, Ubuntu. Um, this word is becoming global, U-B-U-N-T-U, yes. which means humanity. Yeah. Yes. It's a Zulu word meaning humanity. I am because you are. I will never hurt you because of hurt you, I'm hurting myself. I will always do kind things to you because I'm doing kind things to myself. I, there's no separation between us. That, that's the first tenet of my uh, heritage. The second one is respect. I remember cultural studies. You know, those classes you used to have once a week, like career, this, cultural studies, not the everyday subjects. You know what I mean? Cultural yeah, studies. Yeah. Religion, not Once a week. Studies, <laughs> <laughs> we I had religion to too. It was the 80s. We had religion too. <laughs> And, and in our cultural studies, before they write chapter one, the, before chapter one, they say, respect so that you can be respected. That's the foundation of Zulu culture, respect. Uh, in rural areas, you have a, a chief who will speak to the people. When they come, they respect him. And, and they listen to what he's saying. When it's time for questions, everybody's quiet, it's time for questions. They raise their hands, you know, my, my beloved chief, uh, here's my question. And he answers this respect. It, it, it influences every interaction. You would think that used to happen back then. Um, our beloved Zulu King passed on, I think it's about three years now. So there's been a succession ceremony of one of his sons taking over. There was a moment, I'm not in South Africa, so sometimes I don't know what's going on, but there was a moment that went viral because during that ceremony, somebody spoke while the new king was speaking. That is uncalled for. You don't interrupt what, because, like I said, respect drives everything you do. Respect and communication. Respect in letting the person speak before you speak and are spoken to. Things like that. And when it comes to family dynamics as well, these kids now who talk, adult, who, who talk to adults like they are friends, this is new for me. When my parents were sitting in there, okay, we'll sit together. You know, we watch TV and everything, have dinner together. But if somebody my parents age comes in we didn't have to be told my brother and I to leave the room because the adults are going to be speaking we go to our room but it's just me and parents who respect again we respect the adults give them their space but these kids who sit with the grown-ups and they chime in on conversations this <laughs> this is a new generational thing and so we, the way we communicate even with other grown-ups, besides your mom and dad, in the neighborhood, at the shop, the way you communicate is always, always accompanied with respect as the very foundation of what comes out of your mind and your tone. The way you address them. 
The reason we say Saubona, which is hello in Zulu, and it literally means I see you. It means I acknowledge your, your humanity. I acknowledge, I, I, I'm in reverence of who you are as a human, the respect for you as a person. So all the communication, the vocabulary, my, my language doesn't have the word for stranger. No, it, it, it came with the, you know, people who, who moved to South Africa. And then, so we describe it as somebody you don't know. We don't have somebody we don't know in my culture, but we don't have a word for it because it never existed. Because everything, every communication, every interaction is respect driven. Now, don't mistake that for saying that we don't voice our opinions. That, that's, that's a different question. <laughs> because people think, oh, that means, no, 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 you do. The thing with the king that went viral, that person, it's not that they were wrong in what they were saying. They needed to wait until the king was finished with what he was saying before raising their hand and saying, here, I have a question. They just interrupted. Okay, so if I understand correctly, like you said there, when the king is speaking, the king is speaking. It's better to think like Queen Elizabeth, if I recall correctly. You didn't speak on think unless she addressed you was actually the rule with her but um when you're so when your king is speaking your king is speaking when the king has finished speaking the king invites questions and then is the time when you can put up your hand when you can raise opinion and when you can ask so there's a convention to it is that right there's convention there's a protocol because here's the thing about communication if everything is going haywire and there's chaos, what communication, how we communicate? If everybody is screaming any way they want, are we really communicating? Because communication is not just stuff coming out of your mouth. <laughs> you know, are we, is there real communication if there's just chaos? There's no, okay, now it's time for this. Okay, let's address your questions. Okay, let's address your concerns. The, you see how respectful even me describing that that is but if it's just everybody doing whatever they want what kind of communication transpires in those situations absolutely mess noise and maybe no solution so then what's coming for me now is how maybe I don't want to use the word uncomfortable. How different it must be for you being in the US because the US culturally, and I say culturally, so to, to those of you that are listening, I'm perfectly aware that the US is culturally different in all states and even in inside states, as is every country. But the, the form of communication tends to be much more direct. It doesn't make it less respectful. It means that it's interruptive. So it's okay to jump in when somebody's speaking. It's okay to cut across them when you have an idea or you want to add something. That's part of the 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 toing and froing of communication to get to a goal. So for you, how do you navigate that? What I've noticed um with my US friends, and by the way, I've met a lot of wonderful people here. I wish the news mainstream media will showcase uh, Americans in general are generally good, kind people. 
I wish they would see more than on television than what we see. Yeah, well, that's the media, isn't it? Exactly. Hype. <laughs> but what I've noticed is the the direct which you which you highlighted that they speak directly. Um I think compared to us in Zulu culture, it's not that we are direct, we are less direct. Here, the reason people sometimes interrupt when the other person hasn't finished their thought or where they are going with that idea is there's a lot of underlying frustration that needs to, you know, be expressed, that needs an outlet. And when you're frustrated and your chest is building up and you can't wait, and more than anything, you cannot hear the other person because your frustrations have been boiling since, you know, that person who supports another side has been for months. It's been boiling. And so it's a lot of pent up anger, frustration, people feeling unheard and unseen. And when they go direct, there's nothing wrong with going direct. Zulu people are direct as well. But the reason, the manner in which they do it seems like they've been, it's been building up is because it has been building up and therefore people will come across this. And, and that's why sometimes they get these judgments of, oh, I'm social media, got this keyboard, whereas everybody's angry, everybody's angry. Yes, people are feeling unheard and unseen. So not that other cultures are less direct than Americans, but they, it's just this frustration and anger and pent up energy that they, that's why they can't wait for the next for the person speaking to finish their thought, if that makes sense, or I think so at least it's, it's one, yeah, at least it's one scenario of why they then it's construed as oh, Americans are very direct, and everybody else is sort of tiptoeing around. You'd be amazed. It, it, us Zulus are very direct. <laughs> we just say what we think, but it's the timing. And it's the listening to the other person first. But we still direct when it's our turn to let you know what we're thinking. Ah, so you make a very good comment there. When it's our turn. And, and this is a key concept in communication. It's, it's the second episode, I think, of the podcast is turn-taking. And the conventions of turn-taking differ around the world. So as you said there, for, for Zulus... You have a convention where you wait, the person is finished speaking, then you respond. So you hear everything that they've said and you, you give back the response. In many parts of America, I don't want to generalize about America because there's so many different parts that it's, it's different in. And just to acknowledge as well, Roberta and I both are aware and fully recognize that the individual in any place is completely different to any generalized opinion that we may discuss. So I, I would like to, to just say that we're not putting you in any boxes. Don't worry. You are free to climb outside of your box and stand on top of it. <laughs> uh, but because the brain likes categorization and, and to, to have conversations in these areas, it's easier to generalize in some way whilst respecting that not everything is general. The, the, the turn taking conventions in the States generally tend to be different that 
turns are less taken and it can be a more interruptive culture. And that can be the same in Ireland as well. It's, it's a little bit more interruptive. We can sometimes come in across each other. But we then are less direct than Americans. Even if we do interrupt or if we do say something to someone, we tend to hedge. So I've just done it. <laughs> we tend to hedge or we have a tendency to do this. So instead of me saying, we do this, this is how it is. I'm softening that a little bit and I'm kind of bringing you around the Irish countryside roads by saying we tend to do this. In other words, it's not always the case and there might be an exception to it. So I'm not going to get you or I in trouble by saying that it's a blanket or a universal qualification. We also don't like to potentially upset or hurt or embarrass anybody else because you wouldn't have the neighbour talking. And that's a set phrase. Or you, I wouldn't have you talking. So you would say something like that. Now, we say that in jest in that sort of way, but it comes from a meaning of you don't want the neighbours talking about you. So you're as nice and polite as possible to make sure that you're not upsetting people. So yeah, we're, we're quite, quite indirect in Ireland. Again, quite indirect and softening. softening quite indirect. Catching it's, myself. <laughs> it's funny you say that. And like I said, I'm, I'm thinking of zero culture. Like if, if say two grown adults, men, are having a debate over something. That, that's why this offend everybody offended now is also something I've had to adjust to because they know, like I said, that's why all the, even though we are direct, but all the communication is, res, the foundation is respect. They know that it's the issue that we are debating. This man is not disrespecting me. And the other one knows that the other man is not disrespecting him. So when, when you feel, remember when you feel attacked, it's almost like a physical attack. When you feel like somebody's attacking you, your character, your opinions, and whatever it is, which is what you see on social media play out, is you feel personally like they are hammering you. And therefore, that's what I'm saying. Our interactions, because even the way you are direct, but you, you know, the, the way you say it, it's still respecting the other person and seeing them and seeing their value as a human being, but saying, no, 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 Christine, that's not how we do it. We even say how we do it. Let's say the correcting behavior, right? It's like saying, that's not how we do it, meaning we we in this together, but this has to be solved. And you going that route is not the way to do it. They will be direct about it, but they will not make you feel like, oh my goodness, you're so evil. You're not even part of the tribe anymore. That's that, that's that's why they sometimes say that's not how we do it. So you're still part of us, but your behavior is a no. Okay, okay. So this is very interesting. Two things come up for me here. One, you have just said the exact phrase that I used in a. Facebook reel that ended up quite controversial. I think I got nearly 100,000 views on it. And it was because I said, that's not how we do it. I said, what does your Irish boss hear when you say, that's not how we do it? They hear insubordination, they hear disrespect. And I, and I said something else and people got at me. So what do you mean it's insubordinate? Why is it insubordinate? Why, why can't I just say that to a manager, to a boss? And the reason you can't in Ireland just say to your manager, that's not how we do it, is because 
there's a, a level of deference and respect and wording or terminology that we use in Ireland, which makes it sound more respectful. So you flip it a little bit to something along the lines of um, could could we explore a, a, an alternative direction? I'm, I'm not sure I understand or that's not the right way to do it, actually, was what I said. I, I don't understand the 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 reasoning behind the that not being the right way to or I don't understand the reasoning behind it being done like this. Could we explore it differently? Something along those lines. So when you mentioned then what they say, that's not how we do it. They're pulling you into this collective of we as a group don't do this. Your behavior needs to be fixed. So how then can you have individuality? when you are seen as being all part of one and a collective? Or can you? Individuality. Um, I think it's a bit of both. You can still be an individual and live your life, but I feel like Western culture, what it has done in, with, with individuality, is extend that definition to do whatever you want. There's no shame in anything. There's no, uh, you know, for instance, I grew up in the 80s. Teenage pregnancy, it's a definite no. Every child should be married first and have a child within bonds of marriage. Now everything is free. Everybody can do what they want. And therefore, does that mean back then we didn't have individuality because we were behaving a certain way and thought this is how my behavior, you know what I mean? Versus now I'm an individual, do whatever I want. Because there's a part of Zulu culture that the reason I said we, we, we all see each other as one where, and, and don't get me wrong, they might live that way in rural areas, but people in the city, they, they're very individualistic. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, They've become okay, part of so the yes, yes. People in the city they 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 live like Americans, Irish, all all of that. Um, but what I'm saying is, in being an individual, you still, for instance, teen pregnancy is I'm using as an example. You you know how what not to do, and not only do they explain to you what not to do, you understand consequences. You understand how. It's going to impact society, not just because here's the thing. I think we've forgotten and I'm not going on a moral highway here. I'm, I'm not the moral police, but sometimes in being such individuals and doing whatever the what we want, we forget that some of our choices do affect beyond just me. They affect society. So back then they'll say, if you have a, a, a child as a teenager, instead of finishing school, that who's going to raise that child and what kind of um, social economic situations are they going to be? And then it becomes, they make you understand that your choices are not just going to affect you alone. If you have made poor choices, it's going to affect the bigger society, community. You know, it's going to extend. So yes, nobody is against you being an individual, but when you, they explain the consequences of your actions, if you say, I'm an individual, I'll just do whatever I want, they make you realize that, yes, that's okay, but the reason we don't do it this way, just think about 
how it affects everything beyond. Because a lot of the time when we make these individual decisions, we sometimes forget that they affect society just outside of our little cubicle. Do we really have a society anymore? And the reason I say that is because what you've just been saying about the Zulu tribe and the Zulu tradition, which is one of the oldest in the history of the planet that we know of, and where many of us, many of us, well, yeah, many of us source from and stem from in terms of our origins as human beings, depending on your belief, uh, is that that tradition and formation of the group, the tribal group coming from back, back from animals, that group mentality, being together, looking out for each other, there being fringes of the group, there being a second uh, circle and then all the way into the one who is protected, the king, in, in your case, in the middle. And, and I know I'm kind of thinking out loud now, but you've got me doing this. <laughs> when we look at society as a whole today, I'm th even if I think about Ireland, we're, we're very much family oriented in Ireland. It's very much about looking after your family and being together and being connected. There, there is a lot of tradition still there, but a lot of it's getting lost as we globalize, as the world changes. And as, as you say, people are not necessarily being less taught, but maybe learning less about the impact of their behavior on the wider group. To the, to the point of the world. So, I don't know. This may be a moral question we, we have to park. Do we really have a society anymore? Do you want to answer or do you want, do you want us to leave it? Um, <laughs> From your perspective. Like I said, it's, it, it's good that I was born in the 70s so I can compare what I, how I've seen things change over time. Let me give you an example. That you might like as well. We, we wear school uniforms, unlike in America, where public schools they oh, wear. Yeah, yeah, we do. We too. do so. Okay. Mm. So we wear school uniforms. So if I'm on the street with a school uniform at 10 o'clock, they know I bunked school. I should be in school. Yes. But some kids <laughs> would do that if their moms went to town for the day. They know mama cannot see me, that I bunked school. I'm walking around with boys in the neighborhood instead of sitting on a desk in front of my teacher. But guess what? You don't raise your kids alone, we, at least when I was growing up in the 80s. If I banked school because my parents are going to town and they won't see me walk around with boys instead of being at school, guess who will see me? And they count almost as much as my parents, the neighbors. When my parents come home, as soon as they see my dad's car in the driveway or my mom is coming back from town, I go, they will walk to my house. They will tell my mom that I was walking around with boys in my school uniform at 10 o'clock instead of being at school. My mom will thank them. Sometimes if she could bake a muffin basket just to thank them. Because it's this thing of I'm not parenting alone. Everybody looks after my child the way I would and cares about their welfare the way I would, even if I'm even in my absence. And so Hence the, do we have a society anymore? Do we see each other as connected enough to say, Christine, even in your absence, I'll look out for you. And is this 
we fight for being such the individual individualism in this fight for individualism and i'm not knocking it listen i like my life i'm not knocking it but i'm saying is are we fighting for it to the extreme are we also doing the extreme such that we don't even look out for each other anymore yeah and now what comes up is one my sister and actually the irish countryside so i'm going to contradict myself a little bit and and this is is probably the beauty of that plus and minus you know for every plus there's a minus for for every black there's a white for every biscuit there's a cup of tea for every piece of bread there's butter for example um that my sister has had a baby this year well actually last year she was one 10 days ago and she lives in the irish countryside on her own i won't reveal anything else about her but she's she's on her own with her baby in a house on a couple of acres of land in the irish countryside there's a house across the road from her and a man lives in the house across the road and then there's a few kind of houses up around around her and the, the fellow who lives across the road from her, he'll mow her lawn. He watches out for her when she's not there. Uh, he'll, he'll come in and he'll do her gutters. He'll do little odd jobs and checks in with her and make sure that she's okay. And the same with another couple of people around the place. And I went and stayed with her for six weeks last year before I moved to Spain. For me, it was an incredible gift because I got to learn the love of a baby in a way that I've never understood the love of a baby because I don't have kids and I never wanted them. Uh, and I lived with her with, for the six weeks with her relatively newborn baby at the time. And I went through this series of her learning to allow and opening herself up to the trust to allow me to not parent because she's the parent, but to be there for her and her baby in a way that you're talking about your neighbours, in the way that the family would traditionally have been there to look after the daughter or the sister or the whomever and help to look after the child. And I'm going back for the summer now and I'm going to stay with her for the summer and do the same thing. So I think thinking about her and the way that she's raising her child, my, my other sisters and the way they're raising their kids with other people coming in and their friends being around them, and these new communities that are being built, you know, where people are now living in community buildings and they're kind of shared community buildings. That maybe because of this recognition that you and I are having too, that society in some ways being lost and people are losing connection. There's as a bit of a revival. Would, would you say that that's true for you too? You've noticed that in the States or? Mm -hmm. it, it does take a village, which is a phrase that's been around forever yeah yes yeah, yeah, because why would you want to do anything alone because that's what individualism is or do we want individualism when it suits us in some situations but then we realize life can be pretty tough sometimes i don't want to do this alone i need help i need my tribe i need my friends i need somebody to be there for me when in my absence or even when i'm there i are we being coached or trained now to say, oh, you're an individual, just be in, in your apartment and just live by yourself and just don't talk to anybody? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a lone wolf. And I actually read an article on the lone wolf this morning. I live on my own. I don't want to live with anybody else. 
I do a lot on my own. But I, my best friends have been my best friends since I was a child. One of them my entire life. One of them since I was 11. Another since I was 15. They're still my best friends. They will, I hope, <laughs> always be my best friends. And yeah, they, I know they're always there. So I suppose I have that security of being able to be alone because I know that after a couple of weeks or whatever no, amount of time, I feel, ah, OK, I need connection. Right. right. <laughs> I have somebody I can call <laughs> and, and have a chat with. Yeah, so that, that's fair enough. No, I think right, it, it, it was sorry to interrupt you, Christine. No, I think it was, I think I used maybe not a, a good example because I I'm not against, you know, we all live alone in city. Not all, but a lot of us, if you're single, going to live alone in the city, in your apartment. But yes, that connection you still have because this uh, what, what I'm saying is when we do this whole individual thing, you don't even have your neighbor in case you go away for a week to say, you know, check if my mail comes and put it inside my apartment while I'm gone. Nobody does that for you, but the building has 500 people. But you don't have one person who can take your FedEx things and put them inside your house that you can trust. That's what I mean. It's, it's not just the living, but do you have those relationships? Yeah, my brother actually talked about this in, in his episode and he's only 23, that that's what he's noticed in his in his only 23 years on the planet, that people don't stop to just chat to their neighbours in the same way as they did when he was growing up. That's where really I come from. Hmm. Yeah. So if you were thinking about this and you're thinking about maybe the concept of Ubuntu, yes. is that the correct pronunciation? Perfectly said, thank you. Which is being, well, thank you for sharing it and... Uh, now I'm going to go down that question, but we will we'll come to a close now in, in the next couple of minutes. But you mentioned it's being, is the right word appropriated? The right word might be appropriated, although there's a bit of a negative connotation to the word, like cultural appropriation, this whole idea of taking like ikigai, this Japanese term. Everybody's talking about the Japanese term ikigai, your, uh, I think it's your purpose or something along those lines and like taking Ubuntu in the same way and making it a global word and something that everybody should be striving for or, or that, that should now change the meaning of how we understand connection in the world. But if you were to be able to take that, th those traditional beliefs and traditional learnings or lessons from, from the Zulu tribe and bring them to maybe some of the corporate clients that you work with, bring them into teams that you work with. What impact can they have on creating harmony and creating connection in some of the work that you do? I think since we spoke about the individualism idea, which is almost the opposite of Ubuntu, the way we were talking about it, I think the corporate world has become such a survival, you know, let me, let, let's pull each other, treads on a bucket type of situation because everybody wants to step on the one in order because I thought that's what you do in order to climb the ladder. I must step on Christie. Instead of seeing it from a more collective point of view, say we work on a project team together. We're going to look good together if we accomplish this. I've I've heard of stories of people who keep the work away from their colleagues so that they make the colleague look bad so that in the next performance review, they get the promotion. But the project is suffering. 
So why do you have this individualistic notion that you need to succeed alone? It's a team effort. And then that's the that's the employees. When you have the leader, the the Ubuntu ideas, I think, especially with leaders, if they see their team members as the humans behind the machines, behind the computers, behind the software. You know, because yes, we all need to produce and yes, businesses have to make money. That's why we get paid. But it's not just that, you know, people sleeping at their desk at midnight and being required to be there 5 a.m. the next morning. It, it's They're not machines that, you know, they are humans behind those machines. And the concept of Ubuntu there that's parallel to that is, you, you, I see you, Saubona, I see you. But then let's produce the work. Yes, full on board, fully on board with that. Yeah. But in a way, that's that's allowing them to be seen. And so this taking that concept, bringing it to organizations that aren't seeing their employees. So, ah, come on, brain. Can you remember it? So bona. So bona. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, you aren't did it. Seeing, I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, their employees, that, that this concept is, a, is potentially something very, very beneficial to be able to be brought to them and to get them thinking about as we strive to create a more harmonized world because you see them you see their then you listen to their ideas doesn't mean you agree with all of them and like we said those with 20 30 years experience in the c-suite in the executive level these new millennial ideas are what's driving the world and business forward you can't afford to ignore that and say hey you knew here just do what i tell you that that's not how it's done anymore so back we go around the spiral to harmony again, to connection again, to Saubuna. Yes. Is it right? Saubuna, yeah. that's right. Ah, buna, <laughs> but there's a bun, is like an oh, uh, in, in there. There's a different movement of the mouth. Oh, amazing. I love it. I love this. I love it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you so much for everything we shared, for going around about in different ways there, for sharing your your tradition and, and history and culture. I think it's very, very interesting and we don't hear enough about it for me today anyway. So I really do appreciate you for that. It's really lovely to listen to you, to listen to your ideas and experience. I have one more question before you go. By the way, thank you for having me on the show. And I, as you can see, I love talking about my culture and my heritage. I really appreciate our relationship because the reason we had this kind of conversation is because we are just so free with each other, you know, of the relationship outside the podcasting world. Thank you. Yeah, well, that's Ubuntu, no? Yes. We are one. Oh, I'm learning, <laughs> learning, learning. See that? I love it. Today. Oh, got a little bit of goosebump there. Beautiful. The, the last question that I ask is to, to guests who come on, what does connected communication mean to you? If I am connected, that means when you communicate to me, first of all, I try to not use my previous filters so that you, the message you are sharing with me, it will not be tainted by whatever I had in the past going on. And 
in turn, when I communicate with you, they call it the platinum rule. I communicate with you in the way that I've learned, since we have a relationship as well, that I've learned that you like to be communicated with. And then when we connect, which is another topic for another day, but I, I know there's a lot of vulnerability going on, and I love Bruno Brown's work, and I, I know about Bruno, but I feel like part of vulnerability is the integrity and truly sharing what you really feel and think and, and how you see this and being open enough to the fact that, you know, Kristen might not like it. But it doesn't mean I must take offense. I'm going to connect with her. If she feels safe to share it with me because I've made her realize that, wait a minute, even if I share my truth, my vulnerability, my integrity, my honest feelings about this, respectfully, Roberta will be receptive in a, even if she doesn't disagree, if she doesn't agree. And she will explain to me why she doesn't agree. The reason connection is so hard, everybody's tiptoeing around feelings and offense and being politically correct and afraid of being canceled. And that's where each time the connection thread is, is being loosened up. It's been lost. I love to hear these perspectives. I appreciate your vulnerability, your honesty, your openness, your gratitude and our connection and relationship as much as you do. I really, really do. And I will be doing a, a series more deeply on culture. So I, if you, you're ag agreeing with it and you're okay with it, we will delve way more deeply into Zulu tradition and, and beliefs. I would find that fascinating. For sure. I'm open to it. Thank you for inviting me for future ones. <laughs> super, super. Well, just before we go then, would you like to tell listeners how they can find you? The, the, your links will be in the show notes as well, of course. But if you'd like to mention anything about where to find you, what to do. Okay. On Instagram, coach and speaker. All one word, all small letters. Coach and speaker on Instagram. On LinkedIn, my name is Roberta, as Christine has so beautifully pronounced my last name, Ndlela, which is N-D-L-E-L-L. A, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Beautiful, lovely stuff. Well, as I said, the links will be in the show notes as well. So anyone who does want to connect with Roberta, please do. She will be delighted. I know because we have connected so well in recent times and I have learned that she loves connection. Yes, that's why we connected. And if anybody <laughs> wants to connect with me through the podcast, it's the speaking and communicating the podcast, both ING words. Lovely. Yes. Both ING words at the end. Super. Fantastic. Well, the last thing that I say to you listeners, if you are new or you have been here with me since the beginning or have been returning for quite some time, thank you, first of all, for listening. Do like and share. Please give the podcast a review, subscribe to it or give it a star on, uh, on Spotify because it really does help the show to improve for me to be able to get it out there to more ears and then continue to bring you amazing speakers like Roberta. Until the next time, thank you for listening. Banakti, August Buikas.